Washington Capitals are relying on their core pieces to win now, but that will only take them so far as that core begins to age. They do have some younger stars on the rise that can help extend their window, though. In the meantime, the Winnipeg Jets have had to rely on a lot of their younger players in recent days, especially on the blue line after some key departures last summer. How do their prospect pools stack up against the NHL's best? Episode 223 of the Lace Month Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. This is the final edition of our prospect series, and we're going to close it out with the Washington Capitals and Winnipeg Jets, Brett. Yeah, I know. It's kind of sad, actually. I've been, I was, um, this was a fun little project that we did, um, but mm-hmm. I guess... Uh, Maybe we'll do it again sometime, but I'll probably be harder to do with... Um, with live hockey, yeah. Yeah, but um, still, yeah, it was, it, was, it was informative for me, at least, in terms of like, oh, okay, these are guys that we should look forward to and, and all that stuff, so I don't know. Um, and then as for the next couple of weeks, we're still deciding on what we're going to cover, but... Um, yeah, I think since there is like a confirmed playoff pretty soon, I think we're going to try to focus more on that, maybe the draft lottery and stuff like that. But Yeah, I yeah. would imagine the, the draft lottery episode is set, is set in stone for the 28th. Um, yeah. we, sh- we will know the results um, unless something happens um, on the night of June 26th because that's when the actual draft lottery right. is. So we should have plenty of time to react to that. And in between... And we'll probably talk about options for major NHL awards, um, the 2020 draft, which will at some point happen, yep. and uh, lots of other stuff. So we'll keep you entertained. For sure. Uh, so we're going to start off our, now, now I'm like crying, <laughs> like teary. Um, uh, this your is the team's going to play before January. I don't know why you're crying. No, no, no. I'm, I'm teary. Well, that too, but I'm also I'm like that hockey's not around, but I'm also teary because this is one of our last, you know, things we're doing now of this series. So I'm sad, but it's all right. Um, so anyways, I found, uh, so we're going to start off with the Washington Capitals and like we do with every team so far, we're going to talk about their cap friendly page. Um, it's kind of interesting for the Capitals this year because you have, a Braden Holpe, who's going to be a UFA, uh, that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest one. Um, yep. Ilya Kovalchuk as well, who they got in the trade deadline, um, and maybe he was supposed to be with uh, Alex Ovechkin, so maybe we'll see that in the playoffs if there is one. Um, then you have Radko Gudis and Brendan Dillon, who are also going to be UFAs. Um, as for RFAs, you have Travis Boyd and Jonas Sig- Sigenthaler. Um, as well, so that's interesting, but what what's really notable right now is that Alex Ovechkin is going to be a UFA in two years, or I guess the year after next season. Um, so 
that could be that'll be fun and interesting to see if he stays with the Capitals for to end his career or if he goes somewhere else um, to end his career. So that would be interesting. I Ovechkin's one of those players that I can't imagine him in another jersey, um, but it, it is certainly possible uh, because he is um, he is. Um, Alex Ovechkin. So, um, well, I, I think the fact that they re-signed Backstrom for five years yeah. probably helped their case to keep him. I think yeah. it all comes down to three options. Either Ovechkin stays in Washington, he retires, or he goes to the KHL. He does not play for another NHL franchise. Yeah, I think it's also... Oh, that's a good point, too. You could go to the KHL. Um, I don't see him retiring, though. That's That doesn't make sense to me. But... Um, but I could also, I think it also depends on the fact that, like, what, how much does Braden Holtby get, uh, this year? I think that's going to be a big factor, too, um, if he is even on the Washington Capitals, um, because, um, you could make a case that they just keep with, they roll with Samson off and then give Ovechkin what he wants, um, Mm -hmm. that year, too. Uh, so then... Um, and then you can just roll around until, uh, 2025, 26, when Kuznetsov, Backstrom, and Oshie are all going to be UFAs at that point. So maybe, maybe they just sign him for another four-year deal or something like that. Yeah, Um, possibly. That's also an option. Um, although I guess there isn't a ton of wiggle room in that regard, but. (laughs) Yeah. That's possible too. Anyways. Yeah. We're here to talk about the Capitals' prospects, um, and the first one we have is a uh, is an actual is a it's interesting here. I guess before I talk about this prospect is because when I was picking the five prospects, I was like, okay, there's this guy, there's this guy, and then the rest, I'm like, uh, I don't know who to pick. <laughs> it seems like. A lost land, basically. Their their prospect pool isn't that deep. But then, when I was looking at Connor McMichael's stats here, um, he's actually really, really good. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, the the Capitals are a lot like the Penguins in this regard, or the Bruins. There's a couple of other teams that should come to mind, but um, teams that are, have had sustained sustained success throughout for the last couple of years uh, don't usually have a deep prospect pool and that's obviously because they're really good and they don't get the chance to have top draft picks and then they trade the, their first rounds every now and then so they they miss out on that and then they just have to rely on late round picks and sometimes those guys don't often pan out so um yeah, it's, uh, so that's a big reason why the Capitals' prospect pool hasn't been as plentiful as it, uh, like, compared to other teams that we've talked about. Um, but um, it's been like this for a while, but yet they're still one of the best teams in the league. So um, it's interesting on that. Anyways, we're talking about Connor McMichael here. Um and, uh, yeah, he, he had a really good year. He was the, uh, 
which is kind of cool because he was the 25th overall pick um, in 2019. I believe that's also the overall pick that Pasternak was taken at. So that's that's interesting. Um, but anyways, for the London Knights this year, he had 102 points in 52 games for the London Knights um, the year after he was drafted. Uh, that's 47 goals uh, in 52 games, so that's almost a goal per game, which is the incredible stat about this whole thing. Uh, 55 assists there as well. Um, and then in the World Juniors, he was also heavily involved as well, where he had seven points in seven games, and he had five goals. Um, he's kind of like an Austin Matthews type player where he's a center, but he also scores a lot of goals. Um, it kind of makes you wonder why he didn't necessarily, you know, why he was just picked 25th overall and not like a top 10 pick um, or didn't even go in the first, you know, maybe the first he could have gone first overall maybe last year. But um, I think that's, partially to do with the year last year where he had 72 points in 67 games. So not as impressive. Um, and then the year before that, he had 16 points in uh, 50, no, 60, 64 games, I believe, if I did the math right. No, 60 games on the nose. Oh, 60 games. Oh, there, right, right, okay. Because it's 32 plus 28. Yeah, so... Um, so I think this was his breakout year, um, and what a time to do it, right, when he was drafted, and I don't know. So um, I think the things that I've been reading, though, um, is that the one issue maybe is that um, so far it seems like he's too good to be in the OHL, and he'll probably be in the AHL next year. But in terms of when we'll see him in the league, it might be a, it might be some time because you have Backstrom, you have Kuznetsov to long term deals, um, so maybe he's not going to be a center um, this year. But at the same time, he's going to be like he's too good to be a bottom six pairing player, as evident by what his season was this year. So. Maybe he just stays in uh, Hershey for for a bit before, so he can get uh, used to a new league um, and something like that, and and try to see how consistent he can be, um, and then we'll see him maybe in a couple more years. Uh, but that seems to be the one knock on him is that we may not see him for a while, just because the Capitals are loaded. Yeah, so there are a couple of reasons why. Um, first off, um, next year he's going to be too young for the AHL. There is a bit of an age limit when it comes wow. to that. So I think the likely scenario is that he spends another year of junior. Um, Brian Kennedy of the Hockey News says um, he had a good showing at the World Juniors in 2020. He would like to see McMichael return and dominate that. I, it feels that would be another step forward in his development that could serve him well. So I think another year of junior action and maybe if you can, if you're Washington um, during preseason play, if the NHL does decide to include some preseason games before the start of 2020, maybe you give him a look and 
see what he's got. And I think there was some discussion that maybe he would be included in uh, the Capitals lineup when the NHL does return. So we could see him even sooner than this year, which is interesting. So look, we'll look forward to that and, and see what that provides. Um, in terms of being a consistent, regular NHL player, you look at guys like Kevin LeBanc, who have been on the third line in San Jose because the Sharks are so stacked offensively. They have a lot of offensive options uh, where he plays. He tore up the OHL in his, in his final year. He was, the, I think, the leading scorer in the league. So even if you're a top three scorer in the OHL, it doesn't necessarily automatically guarantee you a top six uh, spot, especially on a team like Washington that already has a lot of veteran depth there. And I think that's a positive for Connor because there's no reason to rush him. There's a lot of time to develop this kid, give him a year in the AHL after he's done in the OHL. Um, I think his rookie season where he got a total of 16 points in 60 games split between Hamilton and London because people forget he started with the Bulldogs then the Bulldogs decided, ooh, uh, this Robert Thomas kid looks great for our playoff run, so let's trade for him. Yeah. And uh, McMichael's a part of the return that London gets. London still makes the playoffs that year, and um, they end up getting a talent that drastically improves his stats in year two. So I think that's part of the reason why he was a late first-round pick, even if he was eligible for the draft this year i think top 10 top 15 is where he goes i don't know if he's a number one material but he's he's certainly a first round pick he was a first round pick late in the first round but still a first round pick last year so still a pretty talented player and you can kind of see why um he's being described as a smart center with an impressive hockey sense guy that reads the game very well plays solid hockey in his own end as well which NHL coaches love to see. Um, got a good nose for the net. Puck handling's pretty good. He can anticipate plays, uh, put himself in good scoring positions. And he can also break up passes, which is something that a lot of teams want. They want players um, that can do some good things without the puck. You want to be just as effective in all situations. And probably the issue with him is consistency as well. But his skating is good. His shooting is good. Uh, there's a lot to look forward to. And um, when you take a look at um, how drastically he improved from his rookie season to last year, um, he had eight goals as a rookie. That jumped up to 36. He had uh, eight assists, and that jumped up to 36 as well. So just over a point per game player, 72 points in 67 games. Um, didn't even have 100 shots as a rookie. He had 221 in his second OHL season and 20 power play points. So that was pretty respectable in a London team that overall is usually pretty good. And I think he was a top three scorer on the team at least. And turning into a very reliable top 20 scorer in the OHL. And Part of the reason why you didn't really see him dominate in the 2019 playoffs is because you had guys like Adam Bjorkvist, you had guys like Evan Bouchard just absolutely piling up points, and you had Alex Formanton as your top forward as well. So that took away some opportunities for McMichael to really dominate. Then we go to this year, where prior to this 
um, breakout year. He he averaged 3.30 shots per game in 2018-19. He averaged 5.44 shots per game this year. That's an increase of well over two. He has 16 power play goals, 26 power play assists for a total of 42 power play points. Eight of his 47 goals were game winners. So averaging close to a goal per game, close to two points per game, just another monster statement. And you look at the game-by-game breakdowns, and, and you're just mesmerized. Like, this guy was piling up monster point streak after monster point streak, just simply couldn't be denied. And you know you're good when your teammates see how good you are, but your opponents and coaches around the league also respect you um, and, and really sing your praises. In this year's coaches poll, he ranked third on the smartest player poll in the Western Conference. He took first place in the best shot poll, and he just edged out um, someone for first place in the most dangerous in the goal area slot as well. Um, so that's three areas in the Western Conference where he finished in the top three coaches poll. Yeah. So that's pretty good for a guy that season after season just keeps getting better. And you look at all of the leadership that the Capitals have to work with, um, like Ovechkin, like Backstrom, that he can really lean on and learn from. And he cited that as a big reason for his success this season, just learning from those guys in the main training camp he attended right. and also attending the development camp um, shortly after he was drafted. That helped him too. That's just allowed him to continue to take that next step. He, he takes face-offs uh, fairly frequently and he's over 53, 54, 55% successful in the dot now. Uh, as a rookie, it wasn't even 50%. So already he's improving in that area too, not just offense. So I can I can honestly see Connor McMichael as a player who gets better every year. And if that core stays intact for a couple of years, he could dominate in year one or year two, for sure year three as an NHL player. Yeah, I I think the the well, yeah, you touched up a, a lot of things that I was about to mention, but um, I think the, the interesting thing, though, is now that I'm looking at the Capitals cap-friendly page, you have Kuznetsov for another five years, Backstrom for another five years, Oshi for another five years, Tom Wilson for four years, um, Lars Eller for three years. I, I guess you have Ovechkin for one more year, but probably a little bit more than that, too. Um, so, like, even on the top six... Um, it's going to be hard to, for him to find room there. Um, so that's where it, like they need to either make a trade in order to make room for him or uh, they move him on the wing somehow or have him replace maybe like TJ Oshie and have him be a right winger. So I don't even know if that makes necessarily sense either. But, um, but yeah, it's, it could be uh, something that's kind of interesting there. Um, I think the pro- I think probably Lars Eller as the third line center yeah. in when his contract's probably got like a year left on it, then maybe he gets moved out depending on how McMichael's development is going. Yeah, I can see I that. Think I think as the Eller contract winds down, that will be his chance to either get, you know, 
touch um, just like real sports in, in the second line position right. uh, and a mainstay on the third line. But at the um, same, I think that's where we. I think to start, that's where we see McMichael in this poll. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But like at the same time, his it's like you're gonna have him be a third line center. <laughs> like if you're gonna have him replace Lars Eller, it seems like he's really good and he's been like the best player in the OHL other than Marco Rossi and Perfetti why not just put him um like I don't think it makes sense to put him on the third line um but I could see having him be in Hershey for a bit just because you need to see how consistent he can be but um but yeah I think it's it's interesting because Backstrom and Kuznetsov are also in the lineup and obviously really good, but they have long-term contracts with, yeah. like, high value to them, uh, $9 million and $7 million per for, for both of them. So it's not like they're easily tradable either. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, I'm not really sure what you do. Maybe you trade TJ Oshie um, and move someone to the right wing. Um, yeah, that, that wing. could be a possibility. Um, yeah. Yeah, as we get a couple years down the road. I, I think it depends yeah. on where their needs are yeah. and uh, what their cap situation is. That'll probably factor into where McMichael uh, starts his career as well. well I, I will tell you that if Connor McMichael does pan out in the NHL, it'll be kind of exciting to have McKinnon, McDavid, and McMichael all in the league who are all, like, killing it. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be kind of funny. Um, if your first name start, if your first name's Connor and your last name starts with an MC, you're probably good at hockey. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of those jokes too, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, if he does actually pan out. Um, speaking of a famous last name, now uh, the next guy is Ilya Samsonov. Um, of course, I always think of Sergei Sergei Samsonov whenever I hear Samsonov, yep. but. Um, I think pretty soon everyone's going to think of this guy when when they think of Samsonov, unfortunately for this Bruins fan here. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, he, uh, so I guess I'm going to talk about the fact that he played really well this year uh, for the backup uh, for Holtby this year. He played in 26 games as a rookie. Uh, he had six. He was. He went sixteen six and two, uh, with a two point five five GAA and a save percentage of nine thirteen. Um, not as good as Shesterkin, but still obviously pretty good. Um, he the year before that he played in thirty seven games for the Hershey Bears, where it was okay, uh, two seventy GAA, but a save percentage of eight ninety eight. So that's, you know, the save percentage should be going up, but that's okay. Um, then, but his real big stats were in the KHL, which is a lot like Shesterkin and Sororkin, um, in that uh, he played for Metallurg Magentorks. Uh, where he Metallur- had a- Metallurg Magnitogorsk. Okay, that's, I guess we're somewhat close. I was somewhat close. Um, anyways, he had, uh, his last year at Metallurg, I'm not gonna bother saying their nickname there, uh, he had, in 26 games, he had a 926 save percentage and a 2.31s, 
GAA the year before that was even more impressive, where he had a 9.36 save percentage and a 2.13 GAA um, in 27 games. Um, so yeah, it's um, with with uh, Braden Holtby being a UFA this year, and then Samsonov's going to be an RFA the following year. Um, I think we'll see more of Samsonov right now um, in this next year. And I don't know if I love the fact that he could be the the definitive starter right now, so I wonder how the Capitals are going to address that in, the, in this offseason. Um, because maybe they do sign Holtby, but they give him more of a backup role um, for Samsonov. Um, but either... Or maybe they go out for, like, a veteran right. goaltender just for, like, a couple of years to provide right. stability, like, I don't know, Jimmy Howard, Craig Anderson. Yeah, kind of like what Varlamov is to the Islanders right now. So that could be possible. Yeah, I was about to suggest that, too. But, um, yeah, that could that could also be an option, too. But um, I think he's definitely... Even though his numbers haven't been as impressive as Sororkin or Shesterkin, um, he's still going to he still counts as a player who is drafted, um, who is in the KHL, who has an S last name, and is and has all the makings of being a really good goalie in the NHL. Um, so, yeah, and the fact that he's also twenty three years old. Um, he's still pretty young from a goalie perspective, so that's where I worry about like if they're gonna rush him in, um, especially in this day and age where it's kind of vital for teams to have two uh, goalies at once. So I I would imagine that if they're not signing Holtby, they're gonna have to sign someone else just to help him out in case Samsonov struggles at the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and to your point about Samsonov, uh, during his time at the Capitals, I, I can't remember exactly what kind of streak it is, but it was a pretty lengthy streak. He went on uh, without losing a game. Um, granted, you know, he plays on a very good Washington Capitals team that has a lot of offensive depth and they can probably win a lot of games with no matter who's in the net. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, he had a pretty good year. Just taking a look at his international experience, uh, in 2014-15, he played for Russia at the U18 World Juniors. He had a 2.67 GAA in three games, along with a 934 save percentage. That's pretty good. Uh, named top three player on uh, Team Russia, as well as the top goalie in the tournament that year at the U18 World Juniors. Um, he made his World Juniors debut. Debut in 2016. Uh, in two games, he had a GAA of one on the nose and a 9.56 save percentage. Got a silver medal out of that. Uh, and then he played six games at the 2017 World Juniors. He had a 9.30 save percentage and a 2.11 goals against average. Was the top three player on Russia again. He was an all-star on the tournament and he got bronze. So uh, and he's been better showing there. Uh, um, he also spent a bit of time in the KHL before making the journey to North America, played 19 games in 2015-16. Um, 
was a part of the Gagarin Cup champions in 2015-16, although he only played six games during that run. He went 2-2. Two and two. In the regular season, he went 6-4-3 and three with a GAA slightly over 2, a 9.25 save percentage, and average 20.3 shots faced per game. Uh, then we go to 2016-17, plays in more games, and the wins continue to pile up. Uh, 27 appearances this time. Uh, posts a record of 15-3-5. Uh, save percentage climbs up to 9.36. GAA rises slightly to 2.13, but he averages an additional three full shots per game compared to his rookie campaign. So he was averaging 23.3 shots per game in 2016-17 uh, and was still able to improve upon his save percentage and still pick up wins. So um, I would call that a pretty successful year. 2017-18 only goes 12-9-1 in 26 games. Save percentage of 9.26. GAA goes up again, but it's a respectable 2.31. And this year, he's facing an average of 26.5 shots per game. Uh, we talked about how good Sorokin and Shishirkin were in the AHL or um, in the KHL rather earlier in this prospect series, and. I was looking at their average shots face per game, and if it's around 25 or 26, that's pretty significant. You're you're facing a lot of shots in the KHL. Like, there are some times where you're not even facing, like, 20 shots per game. If you're facing an average of 26.5, like uh, Sam Snob was in 2017-18, that's, that's actually a lot of shots in the KHL. And he picked up three shutouts. Three of his 12 wins were shutouts in this year, so... He did pretty well. Um, so that concludes his KHL. And he goes to the AHL last year where he goes 2014-2. Save percentage slightly under 900. GAA is 2.70 over 37 games. Again, facing 26.1 shots per game. So that's still a relative amount of workload there. And he gets uh, three shutouts. Uh, three of his 20 wins uh, were shutouts there. Um, and then in the playoffs, he played in five games and averaged 33 shots per game. Um, I think that probably involved a couple of overtime games there, but even still, um, posted a, a, a pretty respectable uh, record of two and three in the 2019 playoffs. Save percentage, again, slightly under 900, but again, a rookie season. I hadn't played in North America before. I think um samsonov will take that uh you get to this year where brett as you mentioned um in terms of rookie goalies top five and gaa save percentage um base again just over 26 shots he averaged 26.5 shots per game this time uh, playing in front of a good team and there were a couple of games where he really looked like he was in fine form. A game against Carolina, he stopped 38-41, of 41, and uh, the Caps won that game 4-3. to three. That's one that sticks out to me. And there were a couple of games against other good teams, such as Toronto, where he stopped 21 or 29-32, of 32, um, such as Winnipeg, where he stopped 20, 29 of 31 shots. Um, he stopped 26-28 against Tampa Bay as well. Um, so, so there were games against some very good teams where uh, Samsonov had to deliver, and he did. Um, I'm not going to give him too much flack for the six goals against the Rangers because Zabina Jag got five of those. Right. So, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rip him for that performance uh, because Zibanejad was just on one that game. Um, but overall, I see a lot of potential. Um, it would be a bit of a gamble if they gave him the starter reins and they didn't re-sign Holpe next year. But I, you can certainly make a case now. I don't think you can make a case when the season began. I think before the season began, you were optimistic that someday he could be the guy. Um, I think I think he could be the guy sooner rather than later. Um, but I definitely think the Caps need some insurance behind him if they don't keep Holpe. Um, to, to give him the full undisputed reins and have no one back there yeah. is just incompetence at its finest. That'll, that'll come back to bite you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I, while you were talking, I've been trying to figure out what, what trades the Capitals can make. And the one idea that was intriguing, but I doubt it actually happens because it's uh, the Rangers. But, because, uh, you know, the division rivals and stuff. But I was wondering if maybe they trade Henrik Lundqvist and give him a year or something like that, or they trade Gorgiev because he's an RFA. Um, but I doubt the Rangers do it. Um, so, uh, but <laughs> it is an option, I guess. Um, all right, let's uh, let's go to the next guy. Here is Alexei Protes, um, and he, this is another one who um, he was a second round pick this year in the twenty nineteen draft. Actually, no, sorry, he was the third-round pick um, in the 2019 draft. Uh, but he actually uh, did really well this year uh, once he was drafted. Uh, he played for the Prince Albert Raiders, uh, where he had 80 points in 58 games. Uh, 31 of them were goals. Um, what's interesting about him is, is that he's from Belarus, um, which I, I, don't, I think he may be the... He's probably the first Belarusian we've been talking about since um, since we've done this little thing. Um, and also, I found that kind of interesting is the fact that he's six foot six, uh, yeah. which is crazy. Um, but yeah, he uh, so yeah he uh, he played for the Prince Albert Raiders, eighty points in fifty eight games. That puts him ninth in uh, points. Um, in the WHL standings, uh, the year before that, he had 40 points in 61 games, um, but he also had five points in five games for the Belarusian World Juniors uh, Under 20s uh, Division 1A. So the Belarusians aren't um, aren't even in the big leagues here. Uh, this year for the World Juniors, though, according to Elite Prospects, he had seven points in five games in the D1A World Juniors. So not the main World Juniors, but still World Juniors nonetheless. Um, yeah, and there's not much else known about this guy um, other than the fact that he uh, he was really good in the WHL this year. Um and he's done well in the World Juniors. I guess that's partly because of the fact that he's Belarusian. Um, and there's not, you know, I guess they're, they're kind of slow. Not as strong as the others. Yeah. Like, like Marco Rossi in Austria. Great player. Right. The program's not that good. Right. But it's, it's kind of interesting, too, because you look at 
Germany for the last couple of years. They have Dreisaitl, of course, and Moritz Seider, and now they have yep. this guy, Tim Stutzel. Um, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. But, you know, that's how you grow your, your country is you just start. You have to start with someone. So, um, so yeah, you have uh, this guy, Protoss, who could be a, a legit player. Um, I think they were saying that uh, he has played center, but he can also play left wing um, as well. So maybe that's where he is uh, slotted in if he goes to the uh, once he's in the NHL. Um, but that again, kind of like Connor McMichael, that could take some time just based off of the contract situations that they have with Kuznetsov, Backstrom, Oshie, and Wilson. Um, so maybe uh, maybe if. Ovechkin does decide to leave. Maybe they replace protests with Ovechkin, which is seems like, and it is, an impossible task um, if that does happen. But you could also, like, Jacob Verana um, as well as another option. But So they're kind of set with the left wing even still. So um, maybe, they, maybe they don't do that. I don't know. But uh, it is an option. Um, yeah, I think the thing that I'm starting to realize with prospects in Washington is that they're kind of in a lock jam where um, it's tough to find room with them considering they have a bunch of players who are still four years away from becoming a pending UFA. So it's hard to make room for guys when you know how much they're being paid. Um, so, yeah, uh, but maybe he is another center for them too. Um, if they decide to move on from Kuznetsov and Backstrom, which seems like impossible, so I don't know. Um, maybe they trade him too. That's uh, that's another option too. But uh, so far, it seems like he's good. I I'm he is a bit of a mystery though, considering there's not much on him um, according to elite prospects. So um, he could be good. He could be bad though. So we'll see. Yeah, I guess it's a bit of a gamble, especially when you go into areas where the programs aren't, like, as developed and they're in, like, the lower tiers of the hockey rankings, like Belarus, like Austria. Um, so it's it's a gamble, like, you, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. The fact that he's doing this at a level where you are drafting, like, you know, first overall picks, top 20 top 100 in the NHL draft, like the QMJHL, the WHL, the OHL, where all the stats are looking for good talent. The fact that he's playing good hockey there is is definitely helping his cause. Um, to get to your point about face-offs, Brett, um, I wouldn't say Protoss has a better resume than McMichael, far okay. from it. Um, as a rookie, he won 105 of 220 draws. That's a success rate of 47.7%. This year, he's won 255 of 559 draws. That's a success rate of 45.6%, so that's lower than his rookie year. And in his defense, though, he was taking faceoffs more frequently and likely swerving off against better competition um, because he was one of the team's top scorers in Prince Albert this year. So um, I cut him a bit of slack there. Um, but if I had to choose who do I put at center, I'd probably put Protoss on the wing and McMichael at center simply because McMichael can win face-offs a bit more frequently right now. Um, 
He got a, a 40 points in 61 games, Brett, as you mentioned, as a rookie. Um, only took 111 shots in those 61 games, which means his shooting percentage was 9.9. That's pretty respectable, getting 11 goals with so few shots, uh, less than two per game, and getting 11 power play points. It's probably like a depth guy. Um, that's that's pretty impressive. Not the reason why the Caps drafted him. I think the reason why the Caps drafted him is what he did in the 2019 playoffs. He had 12 goals and 10 assists for 22 points in 23 games, 54 shots in those 23 games. So that's an average of 2.35, higher than his regular season average. Um, so his shooting percentage was 22.2% during that playoff run. And he didn't do so well in the Memorial Cup over three games. He went pointless there. But then again, outside of Noah McGregor, no one really had a good Memorial Cup run with the Raiders. So um, I give him a little bit of a pass there. But overall, he has strong playoffs. Um, and he did that as a rookie. Um, so... I, I like I like to see that, and he also went on an eight-game point streak before going pointless in Game Seven against Vancouver. And in that Game Seven, he had five shots. So even though he didn't get a point, he did something for them. Uh, that brings us to this year, where, like you said, eighty points in fifty-eight games. Thirty-one of those points were goals. He had two hundred and eleven shots, so that's an average of three point six four shots per game. He had twenty-four power play points. Like you said, the size, the six foot six frame definitely helps him. Um, he had um, a lot of multi point streaks. Um, he had, in fact, he had three four game multi point streaks across the regular season. Um, he also had a three game multi point streak in between. Um, six multi goal games, although none of them were hat tricks. Six multi goal games, that's pretty good. And he had 16 multi assist games. In consecutive years, this kid made big strides uh, in the WHL. That's definitely something um, the Caps should look forward to. Um, and not the only guy from Prince Albert that uh, maybe Caps fans should be keeping an eye on because they also have uh, this guy named Brett Leeson who could right. be an option on the wing. The thing about Brett Leeson is his first two seasons combined in the WHL – that stat line over those two seasons was lower than his final season alone. His final season was yeah. just a monster season for him. He averaged 4.62 shots per game, 36 goals and 89 points in 55 games. The red, the rhetoric that's going around is okay. Takes him a takes him a bit to get his feet wet, but when he does, holy moly, watch him go. So um, I think after. I, I wouldn't call it a successful rookie season after a rookie season of learning, we'll say. Um, I think a lot of people in Washington are looking at Brett Leeson saying, okay, what's year two or year three going to look like? When's he going to take off here? Yeah. And the trend continues, and he does take off. Um, he could find a spot in the NHL someday. I think Protoss gets a spot before he does, though. And it will probably be, like I said, on the wing, simply because of how good the Caps are down the middle and where they might need some help on the wing later. Yeah, the reason why I didn't include Brett Leeson in our five was because he um, he had 14 points in 50 games um, for the Hershey Bears this year. Um, mm -hmm. I, but I, I do agree with you. I, 
I follow every Brett in, in the NHL system. <laughs> so I do hope that he does uh, make it, but I don't think it will be um, anytime soon. Um, and I feel like Protoss has more of a chance of being a legit, legitimate player uh, compared to at least, or an impactful player, I should say that instead. But um, I don't know, maybe Brett Leeson will be, but maybe more as like a third or fourth liner guy. Um, yeah, I was also looking at some of their prospects, like not like, it's it's weird that I call Daniel Sprung a prospect because he's 23 yeah. years old and he's on his third NHL team. But he still had some pretty good junior numbers. I still yeah. think there's a bit of untapped potential there. Cody Clark has been hammered with injuries. If he gets going, maybe he could be something too. So they have a lot of they have a lot of interesting picks that could be good players for them. But yeah. um, it ultimately depends on um, circumstance and what the players themselves can do. So um, it's it there. There's a lot of wild cards on Washington. Yeah, there's also Garrett Pilon and Alec Axel Johnson Philby, who seem like they've been prospects forever um, for them. But those are other guys that I was like, oh, they could be good, but it seems like they haven't made the jump just yet. Um, Shanger, Saint That's another one, yeah, yeah. But anyways, that does lead me into the next guy, because after this guy, there's a big drop-off. Um, in terms of prospects on their team. Um, and this guy is uh, Alexander Alexiev. Um, so I was reading up a bit about him. Um, he This year he had a concu- he suffered a concussion in an exhibition game for the Hershey Bears, um, and that kind of impacted his game. But even still, he had a 20, he had 21 points in 58 games. That's not too bad for a defenseman. Um, and I would be curious to see how he does. Um, in the future when he's like recovered from that concussion. Um, I'm sure having th- this many um, months off of hockey will help all the guys who have suffered concussions recently. So maybe there is something to that. We'll see. Um, anyways, he the year before that, he was in, he played for the Red Deer Rebels where he had 43 points in 49 games. He also played for Team Russia um, in the World Juniors, where he had six points in seven games. Um, and then I guess he also played for, oh no, never mind. I thought he played in the World Championships, but I guess not. Um, and then the year before that, he had 37 points in 45 games. Um, and his rookie year at Red Deer, he had 21 points in 41 games. So, um he was also a first-round pick in 2018, uh, overall uh, 31, uh, 31st overall, uh, which makes sense because that was the year they won the cup. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this takes a, this gives us a good opportunity to talk about where he'll fit in the defensive start of things because we talked a lot about their forwards. Um, there's John Carlson, of course. Um, and uh, I guess Dmitry Orlov, who also has a long term here. But besides them, there's not much else that goes uh, that's worth talking about. I guess Radko Gudis um, is has is good in his own way. But anyways, Alexiev is a left-handed defenseman, um, and John Carlson's a right-handed defenseman. Orlov's a left-handed defenseman. So you you could probably see him b 
be um he would be their probably their best left-handed defenseman here um um in this lineup uh, once he once he's in the league just because uh he it seems like he has more offensive flair compared to Dmitry Orlov um and so maybe they pair him with John Carlson or maybe they pair him with someone else on on the second pairing so that you know you have two scoring offensive minded defensemen in the same um you know in two times or something like that or uh, something like that but I think you should also they should also maybe wait another year to see how he does in Hershey Bears because they can um you know they can afford to do that they are the um they are the capitals that are good every year um and they can afford to develop him uh slowly um especially since he has had a concussion and this is a guy that you want to make sure that he's good um and you don't want to rush him so maybe they they give him another year in hershey um and see how he does when he does make it to the pros, though, he's gonna uh, make a big splash. I feel like he's six mm. foot four, two hundred and ten pounds, pretty big defenseman. Um, the the thing that impresses me about the Rebels never in a single WHL season did he play in at least fifty games. Uh, as a rookie, he played forty one and he got twenty one. So in terms of points per game average, that's zero point five one. That's pretty good for a defenseman. Um, in 2017-18, 37 points in 45 games. So that's a 0.82 points per game average. That's even better. Uh, and then you look at his final year where he gets 43 points in 49 games. That's a 0.88 points per game average. And um, in terms of power play points, he had uh, six power play goals and 31 power play assists over his uh, three seasons in the WHL, 101 points in 135 games. So that's phenomenal, again, for a defenseman. And then as a rookie this year in Hershey, gets 21 points in 58 games. That's not nothing. That's pretty good. Um, You add power play points to to that and he gets hot, um, those numbers can definitely go up. Uh, In terms of where uh, the Caps are, in terms of their blue line, uh, you have Orlov and Kempney. Uh, both have multiple years remaining on their deals. Uh, talking about left-handed defensemen. Uh, Kempney's got two years left. Orlov has three. Alexia is a left-handed shooter. Um, Carlson shoots right. So I think uh, Alexia slides in as the second-pairing defenseman with the potential of being the first-pairing option someday. Uh, there are a couple of options behind him, though. Uh, Lucas Johansson, for example, he had... 49 and 41 points in yeah. his final two WHL campaigns. 27 points in year one with the Hershey Bears. The past two seasons, however, not going his way, but someone to still keep an eye on. You also have Martin Furhaveri, Tobias Geiser, Crispin Dublitz as decent options. I can't say for sure their ceiling is higher than Alexiev's, though. Uh, Bobby Nardella, on the other hand, could be a pretty good option for them on the left side. The downside, only five foot nine. That's yeah. a fair bit shorter than Alexiev, but he's got offensive pop himself. Um, he had 13 points in 18 games in his first year of NCAA action. Then he had 22 points in 34 games, 24 points in 40 games. 
And then in his final collegiate year, he had 34 points in 38 games. As a senior, he had 103 shots, which is a lot for an NCAA defenseman at Notre Dame. Um, so he had a pretty good resume with the Fighting Irish there. Um, so, and I think he was actually one of the highest scoring defensemen in the AHL this year, too. Um, I think, as a matter of fact, he led all uh, Hershey Bears defensemen in scoring. I think he had over 30 points this year. Um, and then, of course, on the right side, you have John Carlson. Not much depth um, in terms of prospects on the right side. Uh, so maybe they experiment, and one of Alexia Bernardella is uh, tested on the right side. But even then, uh, they're not going to be first-pairing defenders because you have John Carlson uh, for the foreseeable future there. But um, Alexiev, I think uh, when he's ready to contribute, he will contribute, and he's going to be a big part of this team. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, this last guy, I went with a little bit of a wild card because he's kind of an interesting case here. Um, this is Vitek Vanisek. I think that's how you pronounce mm -hmm. his last name. But anyways, he's a goalie. Um, and when we were talking about Samsonov, we didn't even mention this op potential option because they have uh, Phoenix Copley and Vanisek in Hershey um, who split time this year. But uh, Vanisek... Uh, this is his fourth year, or last year, last this season was his uh, fourth season in Hershey, um, and he had his uh, he had a really good numbers uh, this year for Hershey, where he had uh, a nine seventeen save percentage and a two point two six GAA in thirty in thirty one games, um, and uh, the year before that was his best uh, best year statistically in Hershey. Um, the year before that, he had a 907 save percentage, a 2.62 GAA in 38 games. Um, the other ones weren't as impressive either. Um, so this could be, um, obviously he still needs some, um, we still need to see how consistent he can be. Um, and maybe that's what, that's why Washington didn't, hasn't promoted him yet to see how he could be, but um, and the fact that he's like splitting time with um, Phoenix Copley is also another interesting wrinkle. But maybe what what they the Capitals do is um, they move Copley up um, and they promote him up because it seems like Copley has experience in the NHL. Um, and then you see how Vanisic does in the AHL for. Um, just being the full-time starter, and then um, if that all goes well, then maybe you move Vanisek up and become like a dual threat with Samsonov or something like that, or you just trade Vanisek somewhere else and um, see where he, where you go with that. But um, so that seems to be an option. But it seems like it is definitely promising the fact that uh, he had a 2.26 GAA and a 9.17 save percentage. Uh, this year. Uh, that's something that um, is pretty good, but it does make you wonder why they haven't promoted him yet um, because it seems like he has earned the right since he's been in the system for four years now. I think the fact that the hype is big around Samsonov is one reason why. Mm -hmm. um, I also think As inconsistencies, it should be, but yeah. inconsistencies is one 
a reason why. Um, yeah. I mean, you take a look at his rookie season in 2016-17. He gave up two goals or less in his first four starts of the year, went 2-1-1 one, and one in that stretch. Uh, then he goes on a 7-0-3 run after a multi-game losing skid. Then he goes 0-5-1 oh, and, and gives up four-plus goals in five of those six games. Then he goes on a 3-0-2 oh, run and then finishes off the year with four wins in his final five decisions. So that was a rookie season where he went 18-10-7, and seven, picked up five shutouts and a 2.54 GAA in 39 games. Um, GAA goes up to... 3.04 in 2017-18, finishes 12-13-2, um, faces um, less than, just under 24 shots per game. Uh, that's a bit of a decline compared to the 25.6 shots he would usually face as a rookie. And um, to close out the year, he had five losses in his final six games. Uh, did pretty well to start as he picked up wins and first day but again consistency was a problem for him um bounces back somewhat like you mentioned brett with a 2.62 gaa um named to the all-star game as a result of said showing uh facing 27.4 shots per game so that's a fair increase that's almost four full points um an additional four shots per game compared to the previous season but um Again, there were parts where he would be inconsistent, where he would start hot and then he'd cool off and then he'd get hot again. Um, he had a massive seven-game win streak where he gave up two goals or less in 4-7, ended the year on a 4-0-1 run. So the good outweighed the bad, but there were still some parts where um, he, he kind of struggled a little bit. Um, this year, he was a bit more consistent. Um he had a six-game win streak where he gave up one goal or less in four of six. Uh, when the season was stopped, he ended it on a solid five-game run where he gave up one goal or less on four occasions, including his final four games in a row. Um, and he was one of the league's best goalies in save percentage. He was 10th in save percentage, 8th in wins, 5th in GAA. Um, wasn't an all-star this year, but definitely posted all-star worthy numbers. Uh, with a 917 save percentage, like you mentioned, Brett, along with a 2.26 GAA and 19 wins. Um, and if the season probably ended as it normally would, probably would have set a new career high in wins too. So um, I think there is potential. They also have Mitchell Gibson, um, who is currently playing NCAA hockey, uh, coming off his uh, first season, I think, in Harvard, and he had a 916 save percentage in 23 games there. Um, he was a fourth-round pick of Washington's in 2018. So they do have some options there along with Copley. Um, I think uh, in a couple of years, uh, if they feel comfortable going with the young tandem, maybe you see Samsonov and Vance check at the pros. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So we... Um... We now go on to the Winnipeg Jets here. Um, they have they have kind of the opposite problem that the Washington Capitals do. Um, if you look at their cap friendly page, because they have a lot of guys who are going to be free agents uh, this upcoming year. Um, so you have Cody Eakin, Nick Shore, Logan uh, Mark Logan Shaw, Mark Letestu, Gabriel Bork, 
uh, Dmitry Kulikov, Nathan Beaulieu, uh, Dylan DeMello, and um, oh, Anthony Biteto and Laurent Brossois are all UFAs. <laughs> That's a long list. Um, as for RFAs, you have Jack Roslovic, uh, Jansen Harkins, who we're going to talk about, uh, Mason Appleton, and Sammy Neku, who are all another guy we're going to talk about too. So um, there are RFAs as well, and that leaves, um, I mean, obviously you still have your core intact with Wheeler, Connor, Line, Shifley, and Ellers, um, but the rest is pretty much um, free reign for them. So that's good news, bad news type of situation for these prospects. But Yeah, I think the good news for Winnipeg is the rough patch is over and done with um, yeah. because they were able to get through most of the year without Bufflin and, and Myers and Sherratt yeah. and Shruba and stay in striking distance and have a lot of key players step up. They also have... Uh, Connor and Morrissey locked up to long-term deals. They're able to re-sign Patrick Line. So you're right, Brett. They do have a couple of UFAs and RFAs that they have to take care of. Yep. But I think it's not, with, with all due respect to the players that we've mentioned, um, it's, not, it's not like you can lose a couple and the sky is going to fall. Yeah. Like people thought it would this year. They, they can... They can get some other guys that play the same type of game on the open market if a few of them walk, right? Yeah, I think, well, actually, I'm going to disagree with you there slightly because uh, okay. I think Dustin Bufflin, Jacob Truba, and Tyler Myers, and Ben Chariot, like, you lose, those, are, those were their top four guys last year. Um, or the year before that, and that's basically uh, their defensemanship. So they basically just had to find a bunch of players that um, just to replace them. And I love Neil Pionk, I love Josh Morrissey, but they're not they're not Dustin Bufflin or Jacob Truba, mm-hmm. or like you know, and maybe they're Tyler Myers, and maybe they're um, the other guy I just mentioned, uh, Ben Shiriak, but. Um, like, especially Dustin Bufflin and Jacob Truba, um, are tough guys to replace. Um, mm-hmm. but having said that, like, Neil Pionk, I think, did better than Jacob Truba did this year. So, maybe it did end up working out for them in the long run. But, um, I feel like, um, there's still, and a big reason why... The Jets are even in playoff contention was because of Connor Hellebuck, and they have like the best forward group in the league. So um, it's almost like they were winning despite having really bad defensive issues. Um, so yeah, and I, I'm just my my argument is their situation on the UFA and RFA market isn't as bad right. as it was one an off season ago yeah and they are now able to upgrade they know what they need yeah that's fair and i think the fact that dustin bufflin retired and they don't have to worry about his contract um will help them out um Mm -hmm. and i i'm gonna call it now and i know this will probably be another episode where we predict free agents but i'm gonna predict that tory krug is gonna go to the winnipeg jets this year um 
in the offseason. It would be it would be nicer to see Petrangelo, but yeah, I do think I do think they get a big name defenseman. Yeah, I can see that. Um. All right, but because of this, uh, because of what we just mentioned with their defensemen, we have a the the Winnipeg Jets actually don't have two bad uh, defensemen um, in their system already, um, and we're going to talk about three of them um, in a bit. And the first one we're going to talk about is Billy Hanola. Um. So yeah, he was the 2019 pick. He was the 20th overall pick in the uh, first round in 2019 for the Winnipeg Jets, which a uh, fun fact was they made that was involved in the Jacob Truba, Neil Pionk trade um, as well. And like, because they traded in the off season or in the trade deadline that year, they got Kevin Hayes um, and they yep. gave up their first round and then they got it back when they traded Jacob Truba to the Rangers. So, um, in a way, they got it back because they were like, oh, this is the 20th pick. We can get someone we want. Um, and he's, uh, and it looked like for the first eight games for Billy Hanola that he played, because, you know, the Winnipeg Jets were desperate for defensemen at the time, uh, he was really good. Uh, he had five points in eight games for the Winnipeg Jets that year, uh, or in the, the first eight games. Um, and he looked like... Um, a veteran, even though he was a 18 year old, um, they then uh, they didn't want to burn nine the nine game burnout thing or burn out his contract, so they yeah. moved him down to the AHL where he played three games and then he had one assist in those three games, um, and then he, he went to La Liga uh, because he's Finnish, um, so I guess he just wanted to play in the Finnish league. At that point, uh, the interesting thing about that though is, is that in 29 games he had seven assists um, and zero uh, goals. Um, so seven assists, seven points in 29 games, and it's just funny that like he did better in the NHL than he did in La Liga. Um, so it's like it's a weird situation in that regard. But he also played in the World Juniors, um, where he had five. Uh, assist uh, zero goals in seven games. So um, it looks like he, uh, um, I, I guess, as we've mentioned before, Liga is like a professional hockey league that has a bunch of like 30 year olds on in that league. So seven assists isn't too bad for in 29 games, isn't too bad for a defenseman in that league. But still, you may want to see it be better. Um, and then, uh, let's see here, what else was I going to say? Um, yeah, he's Finnish. Um, and then in terms of deployment, I mean, uh, sky's the limit for him. Uh, considering he's a left-handed defenseman, uh, the only competition he really has is Josh Morrissey um, on the left-hand side because both Pionk and Sammy Naiku are right-handed defensemen. And Tucker Pullman is another one, too, who's right-handed. But... Um, you have Josh Morrissey, Dmitry Kulikov, who may not even be on the team next year, and you have uh, Nathan Beaulieu um, as well. So there's definitely a fit for Vili Hanola um, in the system, especially as we just mentioned. They lost Bufflin, they lost Jacob Truba, they lost Tyler Myers. 
um, and then Chariot as well. And they all, you know, so there's definitely room for Billy Hanola there. And um, if his first eight games in the NHL is any indication, we could, he may be uh, like a potential Norris Trophy winner uh, pretty soon um, if he can put like five points in eight games to start. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, and the characteristics uh, kind of add to that Norris Trophy discussion. Um, you're looking at someone that makes smart decisions with the puck, excellent vision, good at getting the puck on net, uh, not faced by pressure, um, especially in Winnipeg where they eat, sleep, live, and breathe Jets hockey. Um, there's a lot of pressure to perform. Um, this guy is calm. He's poised. He makes small but very smart plays in his own end. And... Um, a good reason for that solid hockey iq yeah. so he has the makings of a norris trophy defenseman i agree with you brett at some point i think he will be capable of winning the, the norris trophy or at least contending for it every single year um i don't know if he was a forward in 2015-15 but in uh, at the junior c level with a group of uh, players under the age of 16 he had 42 goals and 82 points in just 26 games wow. um incredible for a forward obscure for a defenseman yeah and i know it's u16 and it's junior c but that oh, yeah. is pretty that is pretty ridiculous that is crazy yeah um he also bounced around at three different leagues in 2015-16 averaging a point per game or better every single level he played that year um 21 points in 35 games as a U18 skater in 2016-17. Continued to play at that level until 2017-18. Started to play with Junior A talent that year. Um, 22 points in 17 games as a U18. Um, and then 17 points in 33 games with the U20 uh, talents um, a season later. Um Played in some international tournaments, uh, did pretty well. Uh, spent a couple of years in the Liga, fin Finland's top league. Uh, 14 points in 34 games in his first tent, um, along with four uh, points in seven playoff games. Um, he had uh, two points in five games at the 2019 World Juniors with Finland, got a gold medal out of that. And uh, he had four points in five games at the U18 World Juniors uh, prior to that. Um, so overall, I, I think uh, he, he brings a lot of hype and potential. When you look at how banged up the Jets were, they were dealing with Bufflin not being in the lineup at the start of the year. Like you said, Myers, Sherratt had part of ways in free agency. Um, so they had a lot of gaping holes on their blue line. For him to get a goal and four assists in eight games and average 18 minutes, like he was playing meaningful minutes on that Jets blue line, just thrown right into the fire, and he averaged over 0 0.5 points per game in his first taste of big league hockey. I would call that stellar. Not just impressive. I would call that stellar for Billy Hainola. And... Um, I definitely think uh, the sky's the limit for this guy. I really do. Like, yeah. if you put him it, on Dauber, it has this three-year average of 82 games played. And for Billy Hainola, at the rate he was going, they estimated a 10-goal, 41-assist, 51-point stat line for Billy Hainola. Yeah. 
like that's that's Quinn Hughes type of numbers. Yeah. So um, I yeah I I really like um, the potential for this guy um, and the Jets have a lot of options on the left hand side. We mentioned Josh Morrissey, one of the guys that didn't leave. Yeah. Um, and he starts to be a solid top pairing option. Um, his eight year deal kicks in at the start of next year. Um, beyond that, they do have um, some depth uh, that they need to address. Um, the only guy that's a left-handed defenseman that um, doesn't have a contract expiring after this year is Carl Dahlstrom. He has uh, he needs a new deal after next year ends, and um, they're going to have to address that. Uh, you also have in the prospect system Johnny Kovacevic, Dylan Sandberg, unsigned prospect Qua Evingson, um, and there's also Leon Gawanki, who we talked about German players uh, before. Yeah. Um, he is a he is a defenseman from Germany, um, and in the QMJHL, he posted very, very, very good numbers. And um, as an AHL rookie this year, he had 26 points in 48 games for the Moose, and that topped all Moose defensemen. So yeah. he could be another name to watch out for as well. Um, but ultimately the, the, one of the main guys they're focused on is Billy Hainola and hopefully a lot of teams are focused on him too, because if they lose sight of him, they're in trouble. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I forgot to mention what, uh, Billy Hainola did, uh, previously. And I just found that he had, um, he was really good, uh, the year, um, before, uh, he was drafted, um, which you had mentioned too. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, so maybe it's like, it was just an aberration that he didn't have as good of a year this year in Liga, but, uh, like the year before that in Liga, he had 14 points in 34 games. So that's a lot better than what we were expecting him. So, um, it's tough to evaluate European defensemen sometimes. Um, I know there are slam dunk can't miss defensemen in, in any league that you take a chance on no matter what. Yeah. Um, but Eric Carlson, let me remind you, was taken 15th overall, and not everyone thought he was going to be this type of elite player the day he was drafted, and he turned out pretty well. So yeah. I know it could be one of those players. For sure. Um, okay, we're going to go to another Finn. Um it's interesting the I, I didn't when I was putting this together I just realized that there's a lot of Finnish prospects for the Jets and it's this is another team that has Patrick Line already so it's it's kind it's of funny. It's the Timo Solani effect. Yeah, let's actually see because so the best was a 2017 pick, Line was a 2016, and Hanolo is 2019. I forget who they picked twenty in twenty eighteen, but maybe that was another Finn. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess they have a Finn uh, chokehold here. Um, yeah, they also uh, took a flyer on Sammy Nike in the seventh round in twenty fifteen. Yeah, that's so another one too. We were going to talk about it too. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, oh, and, and Timu Solani, of course, um, the most famous Winnipeg Jet. Um, so, anyways, uh, Christian Veselainen, uh, he, he, so he played for the Manitoba, Mo, Manitoba Mo, Moose, yeah, uh, where he had uh, 30 points in 60 games, 
Uh, not too bad, not great either, but um, still uh, pretty good, I guess. Uh, anyways, last year he played for Jokerit on loan, where he had 17 points in 31 games. That's a KHL team. Um, he also played a couple of games in the NHL the year before that, or this year, that year, um, where he had one assist in five games. Um, and he also played for the Manitoba, Manitoba Moose, uh, where he had 13 points in 22 games. Um, and then his 2017-2018 uh, year uh, was, so that's his draft year, he, pl he played for uh, the HPK and Carpat uh, in La Liga, where he had 43 points in 49 games. See, I'm learning. Yep. This is like, yep. <laughs> although, to be fair, he only played five games in Carpat, so... It wasn't, but he got four points though. Uh, I did math. I did, but yeah, the point was is uh, it was easy math for me. But I'm I'm proud of I'm I'm staying I'm leaving on top. Hopefully, um, if the other guys don't have <laughs> crazy math. Yeah, <laughs> watch me bomb other math stuff. Um, and then he uh, played in the World Juniors that year for Team London, uh, fin London Team Finland, where he had six points in five games. Um, so. Um, it seems like he kind of slowed down this year for Manitoba Moose, now that I mentioned the last uh, three years. But um, it's still there's still definitely some time for him. Um, and it's like he still has definite potential in the NHL. Um, the thing that makes it tough for him, though, is that the fact that they have, like, the Jets have a bunch of really good wingers. Um they have, yeah. you know, so Doesn't they... It doesn't even matter if he can yeah. play both sides. They're good and both. Yeah, I know. So it's like, I was thinking like, okay, maybe he could switch to the left side because you have Wheeler and Line A on the, on, on the right side. And then it's like Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ellers. It's like, uh, maybe Ellers, but at the same time, it's like, I, I think I would rather have Ellers than Veselainen. So that's going to be a challenge for him. And even if he's like, if they decide to move him to center, I guess that could be an option because you have Mark Shifley and pretty much no one else. But um, at the same time, I'm not sure if that makes the most sense um, considering I don't think he's ever played uh, right wing or uh, a center at all. So maybe they don't do that either, but um, it could be a trade piece to get could be a trade piece too. That's, a, that's another idea too, for sure. Um, but, um, yeah, it seems like, uh, from what I've been reading is he, uh, he's more of a, like, um, he's kind of a power forward, um, and he eats minutes, um, but he's, uh, he could, uh, he's probably going to be a top nine player once he's called up just because they have an overload of forwards. On, on their top six. Um, there is an option, though, because Patrick Laine is going to be an RFA in two, uh, the, the following year. So maybe if they, I mean, this would be actually pretty crazy, but I was thinking like maybe they trade Patrick Laine in order to make room for Veselainen, but I think that would be too crazy. Um, so, so maybe they don't do that. But um, other than that, I think we'll probably see him on the third line unless they want to somehow make room for him. 
Um, so that's the only big knock on him is just he'll probably be on the third line um, when he's called up. But he could be a – I mean, those are valuable too um, just from a depth perspective. Um, especially now when there's a bunch of pending UFAs and RFAs this year. So maybe they don't sign a bunch of these guys and just go with Veselainen um, because he's a cheaper option. It would be insane if on the five-year anniversary of the day the hockey world stopped where, like, three big events happened, like, within an hour of each other, that Line A and Eichel get traded uh, <laughs> one after the other. <laughs> well, I don't know why Eichel would be traded. I know there was you showed I'm, me I'm that just, video. I'm just, but I'm just looking for something that will just make hockey. You just want chaos, Those basically. are the two things I could think of. Okay. You want chaos to happen, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, it happened in 20. 20- 16 and oddly enough we're almost at the four-year mark of that i still can't believe it i mean um, i'd be all for a line a on the bruins or eichel on the bruins but I don't i'm sure you would yeah. i'm sure you'd be those players <laughs> um yeah getting back to to Veselainen, let's assume he's still on the jets and the good news for Veselainen, he's six foot three 207 pounds so he's got size on his side which is good only 21 years old uh, just turned 21 um, two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, for, for a late first-round pick, there's some hype to him. He had 15 goals and 19 assists for 34 points in uh, 37 Super League games. That was in 2015-16. Uh, also spent a bit of time in the SHL and the Liga, as we mentioned. Um, that monster campaign in 2017-18, where he had 43 points in 49 games, 22 of which were goals. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, in the in the time he's spent in the AHL, he's been pretty productive too. Uh, I mean, the 13 points in 22 games—that's over 0.5 points per game, well over that. Um, his shooting percentage was 12.9 percent. He only had 31 shots in those 22 games, and he scored on four of them. Uh, um, this year, exactly half a point per game with 30 points in 60 games, 121 shots. Um, so he's shooting the puck on the net more, and six of his 12 goals were power play markers. So we've seen that, okay, he can score power play goals. That's great. Um, and that's something that's been a calling card for Winnipeg. They have a very solid top six offense, um, potentially leads to a very chaotic power play for other teams to defend against. Um, and this guy played some, uh, uh, alongside some so- uh, top six talents, in his first five NHL games, he's put on the line with Jack Roslevic and Matthew Perot, uh, then placed on the line with Jack Roslevic and Nikolai Ehlers, and then he even spent time with Blake Wheeler and Mark Scheifele. So, you know Paul Maurice has good faith in you when he puts you with uh, Wheeler and Scheifele within your first five NHL games. Um, I, and you also have to consider, didn't even average seven minutes per game, only got like an average of four seconds per game on the power play. So, like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. You don't you don't expect a Picasso work of art, um, and he did fantastic work for Finland at uh, the international events, which is reassuring. Uh, he won gold at the 2016 U18 World Juniors, took home silver at the same tournament the following year, uh, when he got a gold medal in 2016 at the U18s. He had two goals and four assists for a total of six points in seven games then exploded for six goals and seven assists. That's 13 points in seven games when Finland won second. Uh, led the tournament in goals and points. He was a top three player, tournament all-star, 
top four overall and crown tournament MVP. So a great showing for him there. Uh, prior to that, he went to the U-17 challenge on two occasions. He had three goals and two assists for five points in six games. His first go-round and his second go-round, he had four goals, four assists, eight points. Um, and, uh, yeah, then he adds another two trips uh, internationally with Finland, uh, this time at the World Juniors. Um, he got a goal and assist in six games at the 2017 World Juniors. 2018 World Juniors, he returns, gets two goals, four assists for a total of six points. Um, like you said, versatile can play both sides of the wing. If he's not a valuable asset to Winnipeg, he will definitely be a valuable asset to somebody else. Um, I think what he does in Winnipeg is simply going to come down to circumstance. It's not that he's not a good enough player for them. It's just that Winnipeg has a lot of really, really, really good players who have established themselves as NHL players who, um, are going to be solid NHL players for many, many years. And it's unfortunate for Veselainen because that's a, that's a lot to overcome uh, just to play regular NHL minutes. Right. Um, by the way, 2018, uh, the Winnipeg Jets traded that first-round pick to uh, the St. Louis Blues for that Paul Stasny trade. Um, right. So... It ended up kind of working out for them, but um, and then the St. Louis Blues traded that pick to Toronto, so Toronto could pick Rasmus Sandin. Oh right, I forgot about that. So, um, so the the Jets have picked Finns for the their last three drafts that they've had first round picks. So, um, can you imagine if they had Rasmus Sandin on top of that though? Like that would be unfair. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know if they would have drafted him, but yeah, that that is definitely possible. Right? I would have, right? No, but I think I think like a big reason why Erasmus Sandin even went to the Maple Leafs that year was because of uh, the connection that um, Dubis had with the Salt Saint Marie uh, Grand. Yeah, it's true. So they could have had Joe Valino, um, so that would have yeah. been an option, or Alexiev. Um, maybe they go with, uh, I don't know, Perunovic. <laughs> I'm just looking I, at their I second think, round now. <laughs> I think their connection with Finland runs deeper than their connection with Sweden. Like, yeah. a lot of big-name players have come out of Winnipeg, and they've been from Finland. I can't remember um, a very popular Swedish player that uh, played for the Jets in, in quite some time. Right. You, you see it in, in Ottawa. You see it in Toronto. They're they're boat loaded with Swedish players. True. Winnipeg's more uh, a breeding ground for like Finnish prospects, pretty much. Yeah, but I don't know if they necessarily like like if there was like a dynamite Swedish player, like <laughs> they would they would probably draft him instead of yeah, just, just just to go with a Finn. It's like uh, the Montreal Canadiens with their coaches. Like they have to have a coach that speaks French, but like yeah. if like. Like a good English speaking coach was available, they would they would definitely hire them in a heartbeat. Um. Anyways, um. The next guy we're going to talk about is Sammy Naiku, who's another Finn. Um. Yeah, and he he's kind of an interesting case uh, because he's kind of like too good for the AHL, but um, 
for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to stick in the NHL. Um, but he is still a good option uh, for them because, as we've mentioned before, it's Winnipeg needs defense, and that's a big hole for them. Um, anyways, uh, this year for Manitoba, he played um, in 18 games where he had 14 points in 18 games. Um, and then he did play a bit for Winnipeg where he had five points in seven uh, in 17 games. Um, I believe he was healthy scratched a lot of the times. And I remember, because I had him on my fantasy team, and I remember there was, um, so I was like enhanced in this, uh, in this topic. And I started to realize that I guess Paul Maurice would healthy scratch him in favor of like uh, Dmitry Kulikov and um, other players. And there was a bit of a controversy or some Jets fans were angry about that because they felt like Naiku was better. But anyways... Uh, he, uh, he had five assists in 17 games, um, and that was in 16 minutes of ice, of ice time. Um, the year before that, he played in 30 games for the Winnipeg Jets, um, where he had four points in those 30 games, um, but he was only playing 13 minutes of ice on average, so that's not too bad, uh, especially for a defenseman. Um, but still, you would like to see him um, have a bunch of time on the ice as well. Um, and then the year before that, he played in one game where he had one goal, um, and it, that was 15 minutes of ice. Um, and then, uh, I guess he was, but like that year, in the 2017-2018 season, was when he really took off because he was in, this was in Manitoba. Um, his first year where he had 54 points in 76 games. Um, and then in the 2018-2019 season uh, for Manitoba, he had 12 points in 20 games. So um, it looks like he's kind of like too good for the uh, AHL, but for whatever reason, Paul Maurice hasn't played him as much, which is kind of strange when you think about it because he's not like, it's not like Winnipeg, like who are... It's not like Winnipeg has a ton of defensemen that they can rely on now. Um, so it's like, why not just give Sammy Neku the chance to like give him more ice time, even still. Um, but maybe there's defensive issues or you know something behind the scenes that we're not aware of. But it seems fairly obvious that he should be, um, he should have more ice time than he does. Um, and not to mention the fact that he's a left-handed defenseman, whereas we've mentioned before with Billy Hinola, it's like there's pretty much just Josh Morrissey. I mean, I guess you could make a case for... Um, oh, it says here that he's a right-handed defenseman. Never mind. Um, where there's... Even still, you have Neil Pionk and uh, Dylan DeMello is their second-best right-handed defenseman. I guess you have Tucker Pullman, too, but um, I don't know. It, it seems like someone who who was who drove who was drive the driving force for Manitoba for the last three years um, and has proven himself even still he should he should have more playing time in the NHL so that's my calling card here I, I wish Sammy Neku um, even though he's no longer on my fantasy team he should have <laughs> he should have a lot of ice time now
You're just gonna make like a PSA that San Diego needs to be a top pairing defense. Yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> that that's gonna be that's that's the one takeaway of of this episode if for anyone. That's the hell I'm dying on. Yeah, it's the hell I'm dying on. Sammy Neku needs more playing time. I think the time of learning was this year for Sammy Naiku because, like you mentioned, there are going to be a lot of expiring contracts on Winnipeg's blue line. They're going to need their young defenders to yeah. show up. So they better have learned. They better have learned while they still have the chance because when it's their time to shine, the last thing Paul Maurice wants to do is send them back down. When these guys are ready to go, they are ready to play consistent NHL minutes and not take a second off. Like, they're just like full throttle, pedal to the metal right from the get-go. And I think Paul Maurice was taking advantage of the time that Sammy Naiku had to, like, learn the process and just, like, really observe um, the games and, and just watch the team play and, and look at what maybe you should and what you shouldn't do and, and just take away from that. Um, so I really hope that um, during his time in the press box, Sammy Naiku was able to digest the game because that's what he's going to have to do in real time. And you, you, you don't have to, you don't have to be blind to like know how good of a player he is in the AHL. Like he had a monster 54 point season in 76 games in his rookie year. Like this, this guy wasn't just like the top defenseman, um on the team not just the top scoring rookie defenseman this guy is a top 10 defenseman in a lot of offensive categories in the ahl league wide like he was only one point behind uh the leader when he had 54 points i think the leader at 55 um 10 of his 16 goals were on the power play which is i think a knock on Nike is if he's not getting top line power play minutes what can he do um, so I think overall, his overall game, he's going to have to score, and not just on the power play, but in all situations. And I'm not saying that he can't, but that's something that he's going to have to do when he gets consistent playing time in the, in the NHL. Because we know what he can do at the AHL level, and the sample size is pretty outrageous. Like 80 points in 114 games, um, even if you take away that monster solid season he had, He's still got, combined from 2018-19 to the end of this year, he's still got a combined six goals and 20 assists for 26 points in 38 games. Yeah. That's still a pretty respectable stat line for a defenseman. So I really like what he brings. I think he's got a lot of pop in his stick, and um, he could be a very serviceable offensive defenseman for this team. Uh, the fact that he plays on the right side, he's got a right-handed shot, and you have guys like Pionk and Pullman and DeMello there. At worst, I think you could be a second-pairing defenseman, at best a top-pairing defenseman, if you play your cards right. Um, so I think it's just the all-around game that needs to be worked on in terms of size. He's six foot 176 pounds. That's pretty decent, especially for a seventh-round pick in 2015, like, Winnipeg really took a chance on this guy, and at 23 years old, he's he's making some pretty big strides. He's going to be 24 uh, on October the 10th, so um, still brewing, still still working his way around the game. Um, the NHL numbers haven't arrived yet, but I think in due time, you're going to see him become a big part of this team. And if you have guys like Pionk rolling offensively, and you have guys like Sammy Naiku and Billy Hainola, all of a sudden, your defense looks freaking yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, it makes sense. Like, this year, they it makes sense that, like, 
Hellebuck seemed to basically take over, and um, it's impressive what he's been able to do with a bad defensive core. Um, having said that, it's, it seems like when you look at Hinola and Naiku and what they've been able to do, especially, it seems like, you know, the, the Jets could easily fix this problem if they just put in Naiku and Hinola in, the, in their situations. But I guess at the same time, I can understand that they don't want to rush them in. Um, but it seems like, first off, Hinola basically was good already that, like, he could, you don't need to necessarily rush him. And then, or like, he was already making ways and um and didn't make too many mistakes um in the nhl and then you have sammy naiku who's proven himself in the ahl so it's like why not just give him the reins and you still have josh morrissey and uh kulikov to to help them learn the system basically but yeah we'll we'll see how it goes i guess in the long run but Maybe maybe I'm there's a reason why I'm an armchair GM and uh and not or not a coach either so uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, I think I think it's a bad sign if and and Steve Dangle put it uh, pretty aptly. He says I want the GM to be smarter than me. It's yeah. not good if you're smarter as a hockey fan than the guy who's right. actually making the trades and drafting players. Yeah. Well, I think this is actually more of a coaching thing than a GM thing because yeah, and, the and GM did say, draft these guys. You know, it's like, I will say to to Paul Maurice's credit, he's done a good job yeah. of developing this team as well. Right, right. He's, he's played a hand in this. Yeah, for for certain, I'm more critical of Paul Maurice than I am of Shovel Dayoff. Yeah, because um, I think Sammy Naiku in the seventh round, and already they've uh, they've exceeded their expectations just because of how he's doing in the AHL. But um, I feel like they sh- they should give him more of a chance, um, especially when that's a big need of theirs. I would uh, also hope that if the coach knew the player wasn't ready for that big stage, he wouldn't put out a player to get fed to the dogs like that. So true. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I'm sure Paul Maurice thinks Nike is ready. He'll give him every chance he gets. Yeah. That's, that's also fair, I guess. I mean, I'm also kind of bitter because I know how he treated like like Line A was in on the top line for a couple times, like uh, his down year. Um, so I'm kind of bitter on that too, where I'm like, come on. Um, by the way, the the Winnipeg Jets are basically my um, fantasy team. I just root for them for fantasy purposes because I have a yeah. I have Line like the A. Sen- the Sens are my. The Sens are the team that I cheer for. I have yeah. a soft spot for the Jets. They're probably my second favorite Canadian yeah, team. Yeah, they're my they're my Western Conference team, um, pretty much. Um, all right, let's go to the next guy because this is addressing another need of the Jets, um, and we loosely talked about it before. But uh, in terms of center depth, um, they do have uh, Mark Shifley, and I guess they do have Brian Little, although he always gets injured. It feels like. Yeah, unfortunate for him. Um, and then uh, they just traded for Cody Eakin um, in the trade deadline, but they don't really have a ton of uh, good uh, second-line centers. Even if Brian Little is healthy, um, they could do better than that. Um, and it's also important because when you have, like you have Mark Shifley, but you have all these good wingers like Line A, Wheeler, 
Ellers and Connor, you're you're gonna need a, like a good center for that. So all you, you could you could have me as the second line center, and, and you'd probably be pretty good. Um, but um, have you skated before? No. So that's I mean I've skated I skated <laughs> wow, I skated when I was cool. like when I was ten years old I skated, but I have I uh-huh. I s- sort of skated in college, but no, I've never played hockey before. So. Um, the more you know. Yeah. Anyways, my my point is is that uh, the, any of the wingers that the Jets play in for the top six are are pretty good, uh, but they still need a need for that second line center um, because of addressing that need of Brian Little always being injured. Um, but insert uh, Jansen Harkins, uh, who who actually. Played pretty well um, in his time in Winnipeg, um, but first we're going to talk about his time in Manitoba, uh, where he had 31 points in 30 games, um, and he had that was 24 assists and seven goals, um, and then he played in 29 games for Winnipeg uh, this past year, where he had uh, seven points in 29 games. Um, not too bad, but. If you look at the fact that he had ten minutes of ice time, on average, that's uh, not bad. Seven points in ten minutes um, is is not terrible, um, to say the least. Um, I guess his face he hasn't won a face off yet, uh, which is interesting too. As I'm looking on Hockey Reference, which is funny, although he only lost five of them, so maybe he just doesn't take face offs. I don't know. Um, Anyways, uh, the year before that, he had 31 points in 70 games in the AHL. Um, And uh, the year before that, he played in six games in the ECHL for the Jacksonville Icemen, which is a pretty cool name. Um, He had six points in six games there. He also played for Manitoba there uh, with uh, 13 points in 46 games. Um, Yeah, and just looking here, he had four points... um, Four points in four games in Manitoba quickly. And then he played for the Prince George Cougars, which I don't think is a team anymore. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. No, they exist. They still exist. Oh, they still exist? They, okay. Yeah, during his tenure there, they weren't very good, but okay. they, they are still a hockey team. Well, the reason why I think it's I, – I thought they didn't exist anymore is because, like, I, I, I we've been – this is since this is our last team, we've been doing this for a while now. I don't think we've seen, I've seen that name, um, or any prospect has played for them. So anyways, he did have 72 points in 64 games in his last year there for Prince George. Um, but, uh, the other years weren't as impressive. 57 points in 69 games, 79 points in 70 games. Okay. That's, that's impressive, (laughs) but, um, you know, 34 points in 67 games. So just reading this all out here, he, um, it seems like he he has an issue with consistency, but um, you know, thirty one points in thirty games is still pretty impressive, um, and maybe he'll be like a a depth piece for them in the future. Um, who knows? Maybe he'll be called up to replace uh, Brian Little in the future. But I think that is another need of theirs because if you remember, they. As I mentioned before, they got Paul Stasny in a trade deadline, um, and he helped them a lot, but then Paul Stasny went 
away uh, to Vegas that following year, and then they ended up uh, hurting because of that. And then they got Kevin Hayes, who was okay, but wasn't as good as expected. Um, and then he left in free agency. So now um, they still, and now that they have an even bigger issue to to uh, accompany with their defense, they, ha- they haven't addressed their center situation either. So um, maybe that's something that they'll address in the future. Um, if Jensen Harkins is the guy, I'm not sure, but maybe um it's definitely their their best center they have available in their farm system also from the hockey hotbed of cleveland ohio so he's uh, american just like you brad yes although i saw that he was a dual candidate uh he's a dual candidacy of uh he he has citizenship in canada as well Mm. so yeah. Well, if he, play, if he plays for Team USA and he wins you the gold medal, I'm sure you're really, really Well, it him. says here um, that he played for the Team Canada in the under-18 World Juniors. So I think he, uh, he he may be from, he may be born in Cleveland, but he will play in Canada if yeah. it ever comes up. Yeah, that, I, I guess uh, the dual citizenship thing is interesting when it comes yeah. to representing who for hockey. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, this this guy, either way, no matter which team he plays for, he's going to quickly become a fan favorite because he just has all those likable traits he wanted in a player. Uh, blue-collar type of two-way center, uh, a heads-up player who makes high-percentage plays in all three zones, smooth skiing abilities, efficient in all situations, outworks the opposition, very hard to play against. Um, after his rookie season, he was an assistant captain in Prince George. And again, I know I said Prince George didn't have a good hockey team, but so in his impressive. second season, he still got 79 points in 70 games and he had 59 assists. So a guy that could rack up assists on the power play, even strength, um, for a second year, taking on that much responsibility isn't always easy. And uh, his playmaking ability in his all-round game is high-end. Drawing some comparisons to someone you've probably heard of, Boston Bruins veteran David Krejci. Wow. Um, so, yeah, Jansen Harkins, uh, um, comparison to David Krejci, that's interesting. Um, he can shoot, he can pass uh, the puck pretty well and adapt to any and all situations. Um, so he was, he was one of the top scorers, as I mentioned, on Prince George for a number of years. He had 57 points in 69 games. In 2015-16, um, still a top three score on the team, even though his point totals uh, took a bit of a dive uh, compared to his second year. Uh, then he gets back up to 70 points, has his second 50-plus assist season, um, and only got 18 power play points that year. But he was just outside the WHL's top 40 uh, in terms of scoring. Um, and the top 10 were racking up points like crazy that year, so that's part of the reason why. And it was only at this year, uh, in 2016-17, uh, where Prince George actually posted at least 40 wins when Harkins was there. He, um, his Prince George Cougars that year got 45 wins. But um, if they got anything above 25, that would be an accomplishment. So they weren't, uh, they weren't really that good when he was there until his final season. Um, so overall, in 275 games played in the in the WHL, he had 167 assists, 242 points, and uh, in terms of power play points, he had 66. 
uh, 52 of which were assists. Um, so that's a pretty good resume. His first two seasons in the AHL, um, he played six games in 2015-16. In 2016-17, he played in four games, and he got uh, three goals and forced us for a total of seven points in those ten games. So even in his uh, first couple of uh, go-arounds, even though they only lasted a couple of games, he still played pretty well for the Moose. Um, like you said, it took a bit of time for him to like really get going, but back in his rookie season when he had 13 points in 46 games with the Moose, they had Mason Appleton, who had like 60-plus points to lead the way. They also had Nick Batan. They had Brendan Lemieux. They had Jack Roslevic spending extended time um, with the Moose during this campaign. So that, in turn, took away some opportunities for Harkin to really do some offensive damage. Uh, then he gets 15 goals and 31 points in 70 games. Um, Mason Appleton had 32 points in 40 games that season. And uh, Harkins was fifth in team scoring that year. And then we get to this year where um, they still had some offense, but their offense wasn't as good. And Harkin, I believe, was the top was the top scorer on um, on the Manitoba Moose this year, and um, he only got one power play goal. So um, he was still able to be an effective player. Despite everything going around uh, the Winnipeg Jets and the Manitoba Moose, both teams had their challenges, but he still played pretty well. And in the NHL, he was spending time with a lot of different players. He was playing alongside Nick Shore at the start. Um, then he spent some time with guys like Mason Appleton, guys like Andrew Cobb, Patrick Line, Blake Wheeler. So you look at his numbers and... You, you, you might think, well, this, this this it's a little bit underwhelming. Give it some time. This guy could surprise you. I see. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, I guess. But uh, I think, it, like, I guess he has been inconsistent throughout, but he, he'll definitely get a bunch of um, time on ice uh, just because of opportunity there. Um, you did mention like a couple of guys like Andrew Kopp um, and uh, Adam Lowry, I guess, as well. There's also Jack Roslevic um, as well, and he's another like he could be a center, he could be a right winger too. So um, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting um, in terms of forwards. Um, maybe as a third liner, but maybe also as a second liner too. We'll see. Um, all right, the last guy we're going to talk about is um, someone we don't off like a kind of player we don't often talk about is Logan Stanley, um, in, in defenseman. Uh, he's a defenseman, but he's more of a shutdown defenseman. Um, so it's hard to really qual- quantify how good someone is defensively when you're um, when you're more of a you know just through looking at stats, but. Even still, he had uh, 10 points in 44 games for Manitoba. Um, and uh, the year before that, he had 22 points in 73 games. Um, but it's interesting, too, because in the OHL, uh, he he put up some decent numbers uh, for defensemen as well, especially his last year for Kitchener, where he had 42 points in 61 games. 
Um, and then in the playoffs, he had 16 points in 19 games. Um, but it appears, just based off of what I've read, it seems like, and the fact that you have Sammy Neku and Billy Hanola, who will take over as the offensive-minded players, and I guess you also have Neil Pionk, who is more offensive-minded too, um, that Logan Stanley will be more of the shutdown guy um, for them, which is which is obviously good too, because um, you know if you don't have um, an offensive-minded team there, you can um, you know you, sometimes you have to play defense if you're a defenseman. I know it's a shocker, but uh, so maybe Logan Stanley um, is more going to be more of a sh- shutdown guy. Uh, he's a left-handed defenseman. Um, he was a 2016 first-round pick, 18th overall. Um, so that's something also to consider that he's kind of he does have a dra- draft pe- pedigree to him. Um, and yeah, like we mentioned before with Naiku and Hanola, there are a bunch of options now just because of those four departures that we've mentioned on and on throughout this whole section. Um, and, uh, in terms of who he would replace, maybe Kulikov or uh, Bolyu, um, if they don't make it towards, uh, if they don't get re-signed in UFA. So, um, yeah, there's definitely, um, an option for him if they just want him to be more of a shutdown guy. So that just means that you won't hear his name that often on the score sheet, but he will be, uh, he, he, he could be a decent player for them in the long run um, if he pans out. Um, also, another person to keep in mind in terms of defensemen, Declan Chisholm, uh, the Peterborough Peets. Um, he had 69 points in 59 games for them in, uh, in the OHL. So um, he's kind of an unheard of guy, but um, which was why I didn't even put him on here, but he could be a decent person. We talked about Tucker Pullman briefly, as well as um, there's another guy, defenseman, Dylan Sandberg. Um, he had 21 points in 28 games for Minnesota Duluth. So um, that's another option for them on the defensive side of things. Yeah, like we mentioned, uh, when it comes to that's her covered, they need someone that can play shut down. Logan, that I was really keeping my eye on, is he is just the type of shutdown defenseman they need. A guy who is six foot seven, weighs two hundred and twenty-eight pounds. Um, yeah. Someone who brings size and a boatload of physicality. Um, the type of defensive-minded defenseman that loves to clear the crease, but can also chip in offensively with need uh, when he's needed. Uh, someone that players on the other team hate playing against. That ultimately dread playing against. Like, Dustin Bufflin was that type of guy. Like, you did not... ...get... Uh, really brought it every single night. And Logan Stanley's kind of the same way. Uh, his first OHL season, Winter wasn't very good. He only had four assists in 59 games. Did a little better the next year when they got better. He had 17 points in 64 games. Um... But again, his calling card was to shut people down. Uh, he played 35 games at 17 points, so you saw more of the offensive side there. Um, injury kept him out for a good chunk of the regular season, missed all the playoffs, came back for the Memorial Cup, 
uh, got two points in four games, and uh, Windsor ended up winning the whole thing there. Uh, and then he gets traded to Kitchener in the offseason, as you mentioned, Brett, 15 goals and 27 assists for 42 points in 61 games, gets 169 shots as well, 11 power play points, pretty respectable numbers, and then 16 points in 19 games to close out his OHL career, um, a big postseason run for the Rangers, and he was a big part of that. Um, AHL-wise, numbers decent, but not overwhelmingly great. He had 22 points in 73 games. Did have 150 shots, which is something that you don't normally see out of defensemen. Uh, if you get 150 shots in an AHL season, that's pretty decent. Um, and, and two of his six goals were out of chip in on special teams there. Uh, this year, he had played 43 games, and he added three goals and seven assists for a total of 10 points. Um, all in all, if you can if he shuts somebody down, Stanley needs to be a shutdown presence. Um, that okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, we mentioned before. Yeah, I think you need that shutdown presence. I feel like they're comparable to like Toronto, where they get a guy like like yeah, Tyson Berry would help, and Morgan Riley helps as well. But if you don't have those shutdown guys as well, it's it's not. You know your your defensive problems are still going to exist. So um, yeah, I think it is nice to have a guy like Logan Stanley in their system, just to be that shutdown guy for them. I will also say um, one of the other areas that Winnipeg might need help in is backup goaltending. Yeah. Uh, because currently they have a tandem that features Connor Hellebuck and uh, Laurent Brossois. I still don't know if Brossois. Uh, does the job. Um, they had a guy named Eric Comrie who had some hype to his name in previous years. Further down the depth chart today, he was claimed off the of waivers by Arizona. Winnipeg somehow gets him back. Um, but overall, he hasn't really had a good year. And they have this guy, uh, this Russian goaltender named Mikhail Burdeen, who um, was under siege for pretty much all of this year. He went 20-21-1, which isn't bad. Um, but then you look at his other goaltending stats. The only other goalie to face more shots than Berdeen this year was Anthony Stolarz, someone who's also bounced up and down the NHL. Yep. He's faced an average of 30.8 shots per game, so to go 20-21-1 during those circumstances is pretty good. And he still had a 9-10 save percentage in 42 games with a 2.89 GAA. Again, Given the fact he faced the second most shots, given the fact that Winnipeg and Manitoba's teams have gone through a lot, um, and he was still keeping them within striking distance, that's a pretty formidable effort. And last year, his numbers were pretty good. He went 12-8-3 in 2018-19. Uh, in 23 games, he had a 2.34 GAA and a 9.27 save percentage when things were a bit more stable uh, with the moves there. Um, so Berdine is a guy that I would keep an eye on, uh, in the next couple of years too. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I th think I didn't focus as much on the goalie situation for them because they yeah. have Connor Hellbuck and he's been a workhorse, but that is a good point that they may need to address that in the, in the long term. But I feel like their center situation, their defense situation uh, needs to be addressed more immediately than their backup goalie situation. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I also, I was just informed, I just got a message from... Um, True, but I will say that 
the, the thing about the Winnipeg Jets, though, I think, is that they're similar to the Leafs, where they're good on a goaltending that's, that's holding them, I like. Because with yeah. Toronto, you know, they thought Garrett Sparks was going to be a good complement to... Right. And, and then you're pushing your lucky name. So that's why I mentioned backup goaltending is a key for them. And it's the same in Vegas, too. I see. Yeah, that's that's fair. The uh, So I just got informed by uh, Victor, who you've mentioned throughout this whole series, that in the Tampa Bay, he was listening, I guess he's behind on a couple of episodes, but in the Tampa Bay prospect episode, I meant, I said elite friendly instead of elite prospects or cap friendly. So um, that just goes to show you that I, throughout this whole process, I had been relying on elite prospects and cap friendly for all my information. Um, and I think you have as well. Um, I also had hockey news as well and um, Dauber prospects uh, to uh, to look at too. But uh, for the most part, those were my four big sources, and the main two were cap friendly and elite prospects. But it was it was just funny that I said, and then he uh, Victor said that I, it seems like I coined a new term for him, so um, which is kind of funny. Um, anyways. Uh, yeah, and a big shout out, uh, big shout out to those platforms as well. They're largely um, a yep. big reason why we're able to get all, all of this information. It was very helpful in conducting research. So, um, if you would like to get to know more about those players, uh, sites like Elite Prospects, uh, Cap Friendly, Dauber yep. Prospects, they do a they do an amazing job. That's for sure. Amazing work. Uh, so, uh, take a gander into those platforms if you have some free time as well if you want to get informed especially since i don't think cap friendly they get paid a ton um for anything it's just like they just put everything yeah, out there that's all for sure, yeah. which is amazing to me because we use it every week not just for for this we use it for other things too our other episodes too so um, and I'm sure a lot of people in in terms of hockey experts, I'm sure get their yeah. information cap friendly as well too. For sure, or writers and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's very useful. Um, okay, that about does it. Now it's sad we're ending our prospects series, but we'll 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 go back to our regularly scheduled program. Um, hopefully, hockey comes back soon. We'll see. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can also catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 224 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.